Well, on this prelude to Thanksgiving and Advent that is really a prequel in and of itself, I'd like to offer you a few Advent invitations. It's always nice to get an invitation, and we would like to invite you to all kinds of Adventy things that are going to happen in the weeks ahead. This morning, our children's choir started practicing for uh, December 18th to be a part of this service, and our student choir is going to start practicing this evening. Uh, we'll have a lunch together after this service that's coming up, but next week when we begin that Advent season, we hope that you will show up and that you'll bring your friends and family and that it will be a true season of worship. And as a part of that, I want to issue a few invitations for Advent that really rise up both from the text that we heard a moment ago and really from today. Because today is Christ the King Sunday. And Christ the King Sunday in the Christian liturgical year is both the end of one year and an intro to the next. It's the end of one journey, one movement through the Christian year, and it is an intro to the next Sunday, which is the beginning of the Christian year with Advent. And, and that's there for a reason, so that we will take some things from Christ the King into Advent with us. It offers us a few invitations that I want us to pay attention to today. First, by talking a little bit about prequels. Now, all of you or many of you know about prequels and maybe you've watched some prequels. We know that Disney has made a lot of money off of prequels, so you've got your favorite movies or books and then a prequel has been written and a prequel is different than a start from scratch introduction. And it's important for us to focus on that difference a little bit as we move into Advent because Advent is not meant to be a start from scratch introduction, but actually a kind of prequel. So when you take the C.S. Lewis books, The Chronicles of Narnia, some people argue over which order they should be read in. Should you start with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Or should you begin with the magician's nephew? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the first book that was written, but the magician's nephew is the first book in the chronology of the story of Narnia. In which order should you read the series? Different people will argue different things, but I would like to go ahead and cast my vote for reading them in the order that they were written. And the reason is because the magician's nephew is not a start from scratch beginning to the story, but it is actually a prequel. In other words, when you read the magician's nephew, there are things in that story that are meant to point you forward to the end you already know about. There are things embedded in there that when you read them, you go, oh yeah, yeah, because that's going to happen later. It's kind of a prequel. The same is also true of the Star Wars movies, more famous prequels, those really terrible movies that were made in the 90s as a prequel to the original Star Wars movies that were made in the 70s and, and, and the 80s. And people will argue, in what order should you watch the movies? Should you begin with The Phantom Menace, which is the first in the chronology? No. Or should you begin with A New Hope? which is the first movie that was made. Yes. One of the reasons that you should be in with A New Hope is, as Spencer was saying this morning, if you begin with Phantom Menace, you won't make it to A New Hope because the movies are so bad. 
But the other reason is that within A New Hope, which is a, within The Phantom Menace, which is a prequel, you see things that wouldn't have been there if it was a start from scratch beginning. And this is symbolized in no better way than in one of the early uh, Star Wars posters for the prequels that was put out. You may remember, um, and I was a kid at this time, there was a picture of little Anakin Skywalker. Cute little kid, looked like he's fresh out of preschool. Got his nice little, you know, bowl haircut, blonde haircut, and he's, he's sitting there. He's, he's against uh, a stone wall, and the sun is pressing against him, and the shadow that is cast behind him is the shadow of Darth Vader. Because we know where the story's going. This is not a start from scratch beginning. This is something that is embedded and infused with meaning, pointing us to what is about to happen later. And that's why Christ the King Sunday happens before Advent. Because when we move into the prequel of Advent, we're meant to have a sense not only of where we are, but of where we are going. There are things even written into the story, the Advent story in Scripture, that are meant to point us beyond where we are to where we are going. For instance, when Jesus was born, uh, messengers were sent out from heaven to proclaim uh, the good news of his birth. Remember? In that day, it would have been common when a, a, a new or, or a new king was going to be born, that the current king would send out what were called heralds, not Philips, but heralds to go and take the message of good news to the land that a new king had been born. That's exactly what's happening in the Christmas story. The, the leader, the ruler of the world is sending out heralds to proclaim the good news. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. That's what's happening. In that current context, we know that one of the great confessions, the original confessions of the early churches, Jesus is Lord. And many of us have also heard that that was in opposition to the common political confession of the day that Caesar was Lord. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that Caesar was not Lord. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that Jesus is King, that Christ is King, and not Caesar. And so we're supposed to take this knowledge with us into Advent. That Christ has been exalted not just as the Lord over us, but the King of all the earth. That God is ruling and reigning, and that's why this Psalm 46 text is one of the texts that the lectionary chooses for Christ the King Sunday. So that we will remember who Christ is and where Christ belongs in our life and in all of creation. It begins, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. In this ancient world, it was thought that mountains both anchored the earth into place and held up the watery chaos of the sky. 
So the idea is if the mountains start to slip and quake, then everything else is going to come crashing down around it. What the psalmist is trying to remind us is that God is on God's throne. That Christ, if we're looking forward to the New Testament, is king. And that is the ruler and, and, and reign over all the earth and over all of our lives. So that even if the thing that is holding up the sky and anchoring the ground underneath us slips into the sea and everything around us comes crumbling down, even if the world as we know it comes crashing down on us, we can still trust in God. When everything that we've come to depend on in our life seems undependable, we can still depend on God. Christ is on the throne. Christ is in charge. God is sovereign, ruling and reigning over all the earth. And when we put Christ in Christ's proper place, not only in Advent, but in all of our lives, there are a few other invitations that are embedded in that that I think this text prompts us toward. Number one, that we should selah. As we move into this week ahead, we should selah. As we move into Advent and even to the Thanksgiving table on Thursday, we should consider selah, the invitation of selah. Salah is a little bit ambiguous. We don't exactly know what it is, but what many people think it is, is it's a, it's a notation in the text, and you'll see this throughout the Psalms, that invites us to pause and ponder what came before. So when we get to the notation Salah in a Psalm, we're meant to slow down. Don't just rush on to the next sentence. We're meant to slow down and read again slowly what came before. Which in this psalm is always reminding us what place God holds in our life as the ruler of the world. So the Selah invitation is for us to slow down and ponder. To be present to the power and presence of God and also to the presence of everyone else that we're with. What would it be like if you moved into Advent and to your Thanksgiving table this week with a slower pace, ready to, to ponder the moment that you're in and the moments that have been. When Christy and I got married, one of the leaders at my church encouraged me to take some time on our wedding day to find a quiet place where no one was at various periods throughout the day and reflect on what had happened before the last time I took some quiet moments. And it was because um, he said, your wedding day will fly by in a flash and you won't remember any of it unless you are intentional enough to slow down and remember in the midst of it. He was inviting me to say la, to step aside, into a different room every now and then, no matter what was going on, and remember to ponder, to pause, to be in the moment. It's a bit of a Sabbath moment, and Advent is a bit of a Sabbath season, as we'll see as we move on through the text. So the invitation of Selah is that as you move this week toward your Thanksgiving tables, 
and beyond that into the season of Advent that you might consider slowing down. Pondering where you are and being present to the powerful God who is always present with you. That's one invitation. Another one is this. It's found in that verse that many of you knew. We can sell t-shirts with it. We can sell coffee mugs with it. Be still and know that I am God. Some of you are mouthing that back to me. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. It's one of those verses, like many over the years, that I have become famous for ruining Because perhaps the exact translation of the way we memorized it is not maybe the best translation. Though you can be still and know that God is God. And in fact, the Selah invites us to do that. To slow down, to be still, still, to ponder and to pause. But what's ironic about this psalm is the point in the psalm that is pointing us Toward something other than that is actually the verse that we often think is it pointing us exactly toward that. The New American Standard Version is probably the most accurate translation of this. By the way, if you're a Greek student in seminary and you've run out of time to do your homework, the New American Standard Version of the Bible works really well because it's almost a word-for-word translation. I don't know anybody who did that, but, but, I, but I am aware it's a pretty accurate translation of the Bible. And be still and know that I am God is more accurately translated stop or throw down your weapons or cease. In fact, the New American Standard Version of the Bible translates it very well. Cease striving and know that I am God. Cease striving and know that I'm God. The first time I read it in that translation, it meant a lot to me as an Enneagram 3 in an Enneagram 3 country to have God speaking to me through the text. Cease striving and know that I am God. Throw down your weapons and know that I am God. Stop fighting for the world to be as you want to make it and be in it as I have made it. Know that I am God and you are not. Ceasing is part of Sabbathing, Marva Don teaches us. Ceasing, resting, uh, feasting, fasting, celebrating. This is all part of Sabbathing, which is what Advent can be for us if we move into that season well. We're invited to cease. Cease and desist. We're invited to stop doing the things that we're doing uh, toward production and worry. We're invited to remember, and this is the great invitation of Sabbath, that I'd like for you to remember this Advent. That there is a God in the universe, and it is not you. So even when you cease to be, the universe will go on without you. All of these things that you think are utterly and completely dependent on you, you can cease from them because you are not God. There is a God in the universe, and it is not you. You can take some time away from your work, even when the work's not done, because the work is never done. That's a primary teaching of Sabbath practice. So you can cease. Cease striving and know that God is God. 
Cease worrying and know that God is God. Cease frantically wondering and and, and worrying around because God is God. Cease scrolling and know that God is God. What is it that you need to cease from as you move into the Advent season? A Sabbath rest is for a time, and I would say an Advent rest is for a time. There are things that you are actively engaged in, not only in your work and in your family, but in your spirit, that I would challenge you and invite you to lay down as we move into this Advent season. What would it look like for you as you sit at the Thanksgiving table this week to lay down your weapons? Does that resonate with anybody? As you're sitting with family that you may not see eye to eye with on every issue, as you're worrying about all the things that you have to do, as you're trying to make things be a certain way or not be a certain way, what would it look like for you to lay down your weapons and know that God is God? What would it be like for you to be okay for a day or maybe even a month with letting things be and you just be in the midst of them? Being still and knowing that God is God. That you would cease striving and know that God is God. In order to, hopefully, carve out more space in your life for more joy and more of the good things of God, and that is what the ceasing is always meant to do. It is about a reordering of our lives. So as we move into Advent, I wonder what you might cease in order to begin to reorder your life in another way. You know, a lot of us have ceased a lot of things because we've been in a season of ceasing for a long time. We moved into the pandemic, and there were many things, for good reason or ill, that needed to cease. And in their place, we picked up other things, for better or for worse. Some better, some not so much better. And what I wonder right now as we move into this Advent season is it might be a time when you might consider what is it that I'm doing actively, inwardly and outwardly that I might need to cease from in order that I, and this is another Advent and Sabbath practice, that I might embrace something else for the good and for God's glory in the world. What what could you say no to for this season so that you might say yes to other things. No to griping so that you might say yes to gratitude, right? No to the scrolling so that you might say yes to savoring the moment. What, you, what might you begin to say no to intentionally, just for this season, so that you might carve out space in your life for something else? I really think that's what this season is supposed to do, and Christ the King Sunday is supposed to set us up for that, for the very thing that I mentioned in the beginning. Because we have recognized, each and every one of us, that Christ is not only Lord of the world, but Lord of our lives. And so what does that mean? That means we're supposed to be salt and light in the world. But what does that mean? That means we're supposed to be, as Paul said, ambassadors for Christ in the world. But what what does that mean? What's an ambassador? Well, if we had a U.S. ambassador to India, 
How would you describe the way that person exists in India? They are an American citizen under the rule and reign of the laws and the officials of this country, and yet they're mixing it up in the other country. They're not hiding out. They're, they're, not, they're not walling themselves off from others. They're eating the food and they're making friendships, but they're still citizens of this country. They're ambassadors for the U.S., As ambassadors for Christ, we are supposed to live under the rule and reign of God. In the world, but not of it, doesn't mean we seclude ourselves or hide ourselves away, that we we, we don't mix it up with the world. In the world, but not of it, means we are salt and light. It means we are ambassadors. It means we live under the rule and reign of God. And because of that, when we engage with others, we are seasoning the world with God's presence and God's love. We've put some things down so that we can pick some things up. Advent invites us not only to lay down our weapons, but to melt them down. The Isaiah text, he'll turn our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks or in other words turn our tanks into farm trucks turn our guns into gardening gear we lay down the weapons of this world in the way that the world builds kingdoms and we pick up the weapons of Christ which are peace and love and joy and patience and all of that, and we begin to be people God can use to cultivate the kingdom even as we celebrate Christ's birth throughout this Advent season. I'd like you to ponder, now and in the week ahead, what it is you are being invited to cease from and what it is you are being invited to embrace in the days ahead. Let's just take a moment of silence to think about that and then pray together. Holy God, we pray that your spirit would slow us down. Holy God, we pray that you would help us to be present to your ever-present spirit. Holy God, we pray that in that you would help us to lay down our weapons to lay down our need to be productive or successful, to let you be God and us be present in this world as we move through this season of worship, celebrating celebrating the gift of your Son. We need you to help us do that, to put away our hurry and to put away our scurry so that we can be filled with wonder and worship of you. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Now in just a minute, we're going to have a hymn of response that is also ascending forth. And you are being sent forth, as it were, into our social room for lunch. Right? Lunch together. And for our church conference, where we'll vote on the standing leaders, uh, the the leaders of the standing committees that are being selected from the year ahead, and on our two-year catalyst budget. That's coming as well. And some of you have already seen in the announcements um, how we're doing. I want to remind you of the formula we use to kind of come up with 
here's where we are in our commitments. Um, when we started approaching um, the ministry plan this way in 2012, the consultant we were working with gave us an A plus B plus C plan. And we, we add A and B together and we forget about C. And so here's what it is. A is the sum total of the commitments that have been turned in to the catalyst plan. So we take all of you who turned in a commitment card, uh, we take those cards and our financial leaders um, will add up the numbers and they'll come up with one number and that'll be A. And then for B, what they do is they go in, not me, they go in and they look at the records and they say, um, who are the, the folks in the congregation who have been regularly giving to the church on a regular basis uh, and will continue to but didn't turn in a commitment card? And that goes in B. And those are added up to create the second piece. So A plus B. And then C, they told us to say plus 5% to account for growth over the next two years. But I said to him at the time, we live in the show me state and we're not going to put up with that kind of stuff. You know, it's only, only what we got. We can't, we, we can't imagine what we might have. So A plus B right now adds up to 96% of the plan we're going to vote on here in a minute. So we're in pretty good shape. I think we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, and we're going to celebrate that, and we're going to enjoy time together at the table as we go forth.